0: Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and today I get to speak to two lovely individuals. And we had this um, just bubbling and alive uh, pre-call when we decided that we were going to do this. Um, And I'm really, really excited to see where today's conversation goes. I'm not even going to frame anything. You're just going to have to lean in and listen if you want to come along. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Alexander Crawford and Ylva Bjornberg.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Yes. Um, I am going to start, uh, hold form and and start uh, this conversation like I normally do. And I'll I'll direct it to you first, uh, Alexander. So um, I usually ask my guests, uh, who are you, Alexander
2: Crawford? oh what a wonderfully difficult question um i'm lots and lots and lots of things i contain multitudes i guess but uh for today i think i'd like to describe myself as a recovering not alcoholic but recovering analyst and sense maker uh after over 25 years of working and identifying myself as someone who looks at global trends and economic development and et cetera, et cetera, and being someone that people tended to come to to ask, you know, what's going on here and there, and I was always trying to have an answer. Uh, I'm an economist by training, uh, and actually the motto of the school I studied at is understand the cause of things. Rerum cognoscere causas at the London School of Economics. And that was very much me for 20, 25 years, and me, along with many others about you know, 8, 10 years ago, began losing the confidence and losing the identity of wanting to try to make sense of things. So since then, I—that's why I describe myself as a recovering um, analyst or a recovering sense maker. I try to uh, convene good conversations uh, and uh, gather people and gather thoughts uh, to try to make sense of what's going on. I've lived in Stockholm for thirty years. I grew up in France and. Switzerland and studied in the UK. Uh, so I try to look at things from various perspectives. But of course, I'm a man, I'm a white man, uh, middle class, educated. So uh, that also, of course, gives a certain filter to how I look at the world, a filter that I work hard at at least being conscious of. Um, I think I'll stop there unless there's anything you feel I should add.
0: That's a good. That's good, good, good starting point for me. And uh, Ilva, I'm going to direct the same question to you uh, and, and then we'll, we'll sort of roll up our sleeves and get into it. But uh, who, who are you, Ilva Bjornbay?
1: Um, who am I? It's like, who am I these 15 minutes? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, honestly, the reason why I answer that question in that way is that I've, I've been doing a lot of self-development and uh, on the parallel side of of having a career ish also within analyst uh, analysis and future forecasting and also with a global outlook But um um and uh, yeah you Alexander you and I have been discussing you know sh- how should we introduce ourselves and we're both recovering like uh, future forecasters or analysts because and for me it's um in the past years, um, the level of complexity and the speed of change has uh, made it so difficult to navigate. And um, realizing that we have so little control, and also combined with this mounting insights of um, regarding climate change and you know Earth systems crisis and perma crisis, all that um, came to the conclusion that rather than predicting the future, which is what a lot of my clients I'm consulting were asked for. Um, We need to rather focus on creating the future that we want. Um, um, So that's what I do. And I'm driven by showing what's possible and working together in groups in Mm. seeing what's possible and creating the situations where you can see what's possible and the happiest moments i have is when the sense of wonder comes into the group and and maybe not every, maybe not everyone but enough of the group that the situation and the energy in the room shifts and uh so that's what i like and that's what I, i'm good at i'm quite much of a visionary and uh, I don't know do you want like more personal things, or is this
0: as you wish, I leave it extremely open just for that particular reason that that you kinda of get to bring in what's what's there at the moment so.
1: one important aspect to add is that i've beyond my studies in communication um I've studied anthropology and that's shaped me a lot. I also went to an international school with eighty two nationalities coming from um Sweden, Gothenburg, West Sweden, and then um, hanging out with uh, people of 82 nationalities, just broadened a spectrum for me of who to be, and that shaped me. And then on top of that, anthropology just widened my um, gaze enormously on a very early stage. I was 19 when I studied anthropology. So, yeah, that's... Yeah,
0: you can cut out. Maybe that was too much. Okay, That's you. Nope, it's not too much. Um, And I think, I mean, so I think this is going to be a little bit different because you you guys have had a conversation for quite some time on these topics and topics that really interest me as well. And so it was quite wonderful to get a peek into it. and, And maybe we start where we started before, um, which was this, uh, this uh, concept of the, the conversation one and the conversation two, um, uh, that, that, that type. And then we'll see where it takes us. After that, I'll, I'll let go of all the guardrails, but uh, I don't know whoever. Do you want to tell us what that means?
1: Conversation one and conversation two. Um, do you want to do that, Alexander?
2: Yeah, I can have a go and then you can compliment it. Um, being, you know, living in Sweden in the 2010s, in Stockholm, globally minded, sustainability conscious, uh, and in a kind of in between space, mainly between business, academia, policy, activism in that world, Um, it struck us maybe about three years ago that the conversation in that space was really fairly, how should I say, it was fairly uh, one-sided. It was a conversation about the world we live in, but very much contained inside the parameters of the world we live in. And it was a conversation that didn't really open up, we felt, for other futures and uh, other ways of looking at the world. Um, And it was a very conform and homogeneous uh, conversation and group. Of course, we looked at it from a fairly Anglo-Saxon or Anglo-Sphere perspective. Uh, I know that the conversation is different in the French-speaking world or in the German-speaking world, and I'm sure it's very different in the Chinese-speaking world or the uh, Arabic-speaking world. Uh, But that was the water we were swimming in, um, and we started to feel that this um, this was constraining us. Uh, it didn't really pick up the fundamental critique of the system in which the conversation existed, and the system was to use the words of Vanessa Andriotti, it's the house that modernity built. Modernity, there are many words for this, but it's the way of looking at the world that we have been taught in our schools when we have studied in Western Europe or North America or a few other places in the world, Western places in the world, even if it's Australia or New Zealand or maybe even Singapore or other such places. Um, And uh, because of the fact that the crisis, the crises, the the poly-crisis, the meta-crisis, poly meta whatever we want to call it, the different fronts were just the crises were accelerating. Um, we couldn't uh, quite find inside the conversation a way to look at the world, the system in, uh, in a constructive way. So that's where we started exploring the notion of another conversation. Uh, that has completely different starting points, uh, that doesn't uh, build on the mere, you know, two, three hundred years of Western history, but goes much further back, um, and accepts uncertainties in a way that the dominant conversation one doesn't, um, and uh, opens up the possibilities for other ways of, uh, well, other Types of conversations. Now we say conversation one and conversation two, and we distinguish that from um, the state of affairs, so the reality that we call system one, uh, the dominant system. So the house of the house that modernity built is system one, and the conversation about it is, and out of it is what we call conversation one. Uh, we don't believe, and I think we'll get into this in much greater detail, we don't quite believe that it's constructive to say that there is uh, a system two or an alternative state of affairs, because there are a multitude of different uh, alternative systems, alternative ways of looking at the world. So uh, it's the conversation that's related to system one and then conversation two, which is related to all the other um, possible worlds and systems that are out there. Ulva, maybe you want to uh, add a little bit. I was meandering a bit.
1: Um, yeah, I can summarize. So um, in short, uh, the conversation one and the conversation two, they kind of have the same or similar um, objectives. So the conversation one is really how can we create a better sustainability Um, for example how can we um, prevent the climate crisis how can we um how can we work towards again the agenda 2030 um, to create a better world basically and so that's conversation one conversation two is about well wait a minute um what if um the hits the fan and our systems start to crumple to the extent that we end up in chaos. I'm not saying that this is what we believe and We're not you know, like fundamentalists in terms of, oh, we're expecting collapse. Not at all. But rather, um, how about we start thinking um, about what else could we be doing in case things go really bad? Or, and, and then we started actually thinking, and so conversation two is about What if uh, there were other ways that we could create this one system, many systems um, in which to cohabitate this planet uh, as humans and with nature and with um, everything around us? um, What could that look like? So that's conversation two. Mm. Conversation one, so Mm. many people are engaged in that. This is like the whole world, at least the highly educated world and people related to... To um, global issues and and um, most of Sweden talks about it, um, um, the agenda 2030 and how to uh, how to de- adhere to it, how to uh, perform within it. Um, but conversation two, there's so few people having that. And Alexandra and I, um, we've been engaged in you know conversation one, conversation two parallel uh, for a couple of years now, and and uh, uh, just. Uh, um, so that's
0: where we're at right now. Yeah, it's exciting because I, I mean, what I'm what I'm hearing is like, or the way that I've been. I haven't used those terms at all, but but just something around conversation too is what I perceive to be sort of transfer, transformational. Yeah, it's like being with the materiality that we have right now, and then looking or or trying to discover together. Um, what are the other shapes that this material could take? Like, where would it allow us to go? Like, what's what is the water that we're swimming in? What are the constraints that we put on ourselves versus what are the actual constraints that are that are there? Like, how, how can we yeah. how can we find that? Um, yeah,
1: exactly. What's the water that we swim in? and and um, that requires that, we, that there's an um, there's a model created by Donella Meadows. Um, it's it's called. Um, Places to intervene in a system, and it's like leverage points. And depending on you, where you want to change things, so Agenda 2030 is around operations and how we do things. But it's still within the mental framework that that um, that we all share in the Western world and most of the rest of the world as well. And um, but if you climb higher up on that ladder. Um, Um, not a ladder, but on the leverage, uh, up on the greater systems level, um, we also end up in the mental paradigm that we're at. There's so many things that we're taking for granted in the system that we're living in right now that are not givens. And having studied anthropology, I understand that there's so many different ways we can uh, live together. Um doesn't necessarily have to be capitalism. And we're not seeing this from a political viewpoint because um, um, this is beyond politics, I think. It's just how can we step outside of everything that we thought was given and um, look at our system, societal system from the outside and see what else is possible. And that's how real change is created.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. I'm on board. How do you do? <laughs> um, there's, uh,
2: There is an institution, a place up in the desert in New Mexico called the Santa Fe Institute, where a lot of systems thinkers have gotten together for the last decades to try to look for, uh, you know, what happens when you mix disciplines and what happens when you apply systems thinking and, in some cases, very rigorous systems science and systems analysis to looking at the world. One of the founders there was the Nobel Prize winner, Murray Gell-Mann, a guy who got the Nobel Prize for discovering the quarks, a theoretical physicist. He had a very nice description of what I think uh, we've been spending quite a lot of time trying to do in our conversations which is to find what he calls the crude look at the whole, whole as in W-H-O, not whole as in down, mm-hmm. down below. Yeah. Um, although sometimes you might wonder both. both That's pretty interesting as well, manage. a whole
1: different conversation. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. yeah. But the, 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 the crude look at, it, at the whole, uh, I mean, it's a look so it's not an analysis, it's not a detail, there isn't that much you know data that you can really get yourself dug into. And it's crude because you can't really see it and if even if you see it and sense it, often you lack the words to describe it really in the best possible ways. and the whole is really the whole it's 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 the everything. so uh trying to become more used to uh, looking for and being comfortable with the crude look at a whole without doing what we have been taught to do for 200 years, which is to divide it up into bits and then dig very deeply and try to make sense of every little bit. Uh, and then assume that just when we have understood every part of the system, everything would magically fit, fit together and we will understand the whole. That's not how it works um uh, so uh the the this notion of crude look at the whole is I think what we is a, another way of describing what we've been trying to do, looking both at the house of the house that modernity built, so looking at the world around us uh what is it uh how is it working what and accepting and even almost forcing ourselves to be a little blurred in parts of that world view uh and then, of course, exploring uh, possible alternatives. This, I think, blurring of worldviews, the blurring, the sense of suddenly or gradually uh, seeing that, uh, it's not what I thought it was. It doesn't work the th- the way I've been taught. Uh, that's a very, uh, it's very difficult, it's humbling, It's but it's an obstacle or a, you know, a zone that one needs to press through, because it's only through that that you can get a better sense of where to go uh, afterwards, uh, where to continue going. It's this, this, this yeah, this, this blurring, this uh, accepting what we don't understand, uh, and resisting the urges that we have been taught throughout, throughout uh, or least that I have been taught throughout my life and education and work and et cetera, et cetera. So that's interesting. Cause I, I think
0: <laughs> I was reading Tim Morton, um, dark ecology, uh, the other week and with a lot, I, I read it twice, like, and, and, and I think I, and I might need to read it again because it's like, but, but he speaks of that in, in one another way. He has this uh, view is pointing to this um, thing that rationality doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it's like rationality isn't rational. You can't be rational all the way down and all the way up. Like at some point it breaks. So there is sort of built in paradox and we are told, I think, or I've been told that rationality is the way, the only way to operate in a way. And, Uh, the example that he gives is this, I don't know who it was, but it's this sentence with, which was like, uh, this sentence is false. And then, you know, try to figure that one out rationally. Um, So if you, especially if you want it to be sort of congruent or if you want it to fit together, that it it should be consistent throughout. So the sort of law of non-contradiction is what he's going at. Um, And at the same time, when you're speaking of these blurred lines, I know I'm, I feel like I'm, starting to get a sense for that other conversation. And yet, when I speak to people about it, uh, I usually get told that I am unclear or I don't make sense and uh, it's not understandable. And it's very destabilizing, I think, for people to have the conversation. It's destabilizing for me to try to have it as well, because I'm Start questioning myself very very yeah, deeply.
1: I can so relate, and also, and it's this even raises the question whether should we call it conversation two at all, because conversation is something that comes from the mind, and what we discovered because once we got really deep into the perspective of conversation two, we kind of ended up in a big halt because we've been sharing articles. Um, you name it, all the thinkers in this field, uh, you know, Tyson Junker uh, Charles Eisenstein, uh, um Vanessa Andriotti, and uh, um maybe you want to mention some more, Alexander. Um it's just uh however it's we after a while when we were sharing these articles with each other, uh it's kind of we kind of came to a halt where the whole I felt in my whole body that mind is not enough and it was kind of um almost a sense of nausea towards trying to rationalize and put into words what's going on on the next level which i don't know if we should call conversation to the next level but it's just a different different way of being and operating and so um and we realized that this is not enough we cannot be only thinking here We need to enter other types of intelligence. We need to be much more in the body. We need to um, make sense without making sense, if you will. So yeah, it's sense-making on another level that goes beyond the rational mind.
2: There's one piece of work, or body of thought, or approach that uh, we keep coming back to all the time, um, and for some reason, it's not as you know ubiquitously well known as some of the other, uh, some of the names that you just mentioned, Ilva or so, and it's from a Canadian psychiatrist, a psychologist, Buddhist called Paul Schifurka. C-H-E-F-U-R-K-A. And about 10 years ago, he just wrote a short little text about something that he calls the ladder of awareness. Um, do you want to walk us through it, Ulva, or should I?
1: Um, let's, let's combine it. I can start and then yeah. you fill in. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's... Uh, so, on level one... It means that you, because it's all about relating to um, sustainability and, and the, 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 um, the predicament of the world. But on level one, you don't, think, you don't see a problem. You're like, what's no, we don't have a problem. And then on, on level two, you see there's one big problem. And that's the one I focus on. And that's where I spend all my energy, which would be, for example, climate change.
2: And, and my, my problem is bigger than everybody else's problem. Yeah. This is the big problem, and how can you all be so stupid that you don't see that this is the biggest problem?
1: And then on level three, you begin to realize, oh, there are many problems. Um, there are Oh, there's biodiversity, there's poverty. Maybe they're all related. Um, and then on level four, uh, you realize, oh, they're all interlinked. This is no longer problems. This is a predicament. So and you realize, oh my God, um, we're stuck somewhere, and this is hard to change. It's really hard to change this now, and that's when you also become a bit wary, aware, and you start isolating yourself. And because you realize um, that you you can't, you kind of realize that your agency is kind of limited in a way because you don't know what to do. And um, so you sit in small groups and you discuss this, and and uh, and you also have a kind of brief situation. So this would be deep adaptation, for example. This would be the deep adaptation uh, when you are count and encountered with the possibility that the world is is well, the climate is going to collapse and we're going to have chaos. Um,
2: just uh, on deep adaptation, there, just clarify that I, that's a community of, let's say, sustainability professionals that uh, gathered uh, together about four years ago when an English sustainability academic called Jem Bendel wrote an essay called Deep Adaptation, uh, where he described in a very personal way his journey from being, in a way, his journey up uh, Shifurka's ladder uh, from dead asleep through to very, very climate focused and then realizing, oh, my God, it's not only climate. And then, oh, my God, everything is related. And oh, my God, this isn't a problem with solution. Uh, These aren't problems with solutions. This isn't even one problem with one solution. This is much more existential. uh, And and we need to adapt. And with adapt, he doesn't mean you know, build stronger houses or uh, build more resilience resilient cities. Uh, that's where the notion of deep adaptation comes, which is basically opening oneself for another kind of conversation.
1: Yeah, and then on level five, that's you, where you might start to have conversation too. Um, and uh, when where you um and what Schiffworker describes it for the the types of action that you go into on level five is either you go on an inner journey where you do a lot of self-development um, and maybe you've done it before as well because um, um, not everyone ends up on level five for very many different reasons. It does not have to do with intelligence. It does not have to do with some people are better a bigger thinker than others. It's just... Um, uh, uh, we can just go into further detail on who ends up on, on this level um, anyway. Um, and the other path you would take when you're on level five uh, is the physical one where you go out and you start your own farm uh, or you join a conscious community. or um, But you definitely decide to, to in many ways, leave um, system one, the system that we're inside right now, and... Uh, and try to create your own resilience um, or or your own world, so to speak. Something different, something that's not so full of entangled problems or entangled systems with deeply rooted problems that we have today.
2: So the Shafurka ladder has really been instrumental, uh, been very, very helpful uh, it 's almost like it can become a bit of a typology of conversations or people or approaches that uh and, I, and you know we sometimes even talk about oh he 's a he 's a stage two or oh she 's almost taking the step from four to five, and as in any uh concept like this uh just as interesting as the description of the different phases is to think about what makes you take the step from three to four or from one to two. What awakens people uh, just from beginning to embark on this uh, exploration? And of course, what happens the higher up you get, I saying higher is a little, uh, I don't know. There's part of me that doesn't like that because it does. That's yeah. The question that I'm yeah, to ask. yeah. 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 This is and so it,
1: conversation I, it, one to talk about different levels.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but, but still uh, there is a, um, yeah, there, the, the, just one more thing on, on uh, what Ulva y- described about, uh, Shifurka's, uh reasoning, and this text—it's—it's it's like two pages long. It's—it's uh, it's not a <laughs> long book, and I haven't seen much other work done by Shifurka or others around this um, concept. Uh, but he—he—he he, he, he thinks uh, well, as, as you described Ulva. Uh, he talks about the two ways beyond the step five uh, stage five and. Uh, One is around the outer path, which is a lot of permaculture and eco-villages and sustainable communities. Uh, And then uh, the inner path is much more about uh, self-development. And the interesting thing when we stumbled across this is that it kind of struck us that, well, gosh, maybe this is why so many people we know are either... Involved a, engaging themselves in permaculture or uh, or biodynamics or uh, just you know just gardening or just uh, community building uh, of various kinds, and then of course the inner path, the path of, of, of more more self development. That's uh, that's the world where I mean there there are quite a few people that have been involved in that. But seeing it in, in that way was very enlightening. Yeah, I'd like
1: to add as well what he didn't write and what, it, what my perception is, is that the inner path is not, I mean, it depends on what you uh, make of the, the word inner, but it's also so basically a more or less spiritual path. doesn't necessarily have to be religious. doesn't necessarily have to be like spiritual, spiritual, but it can also be where you are exploring altered states of consciousness uh, where you also deploy alt- altered states of consciousness for your, in your own sense making. And uh, I would also say in able to in order to be able to stay at stage five or even even stay within conversation two, which is so fundamentally different from the world that we're live in right now, uh, requires that you have a practice which is spiritual, because it's emotionally very, very heavy to kind of step out of the mental paradigm, which encompasses every other person you meet, more or less. Um, uh, And where everybody else around you invests all their energy into making a career or just uh, improving their personal lives. Or also, um, of course, uh, working really, really hard and successfully towards a more sustainable world. It's just within another mind frame. And, uh, so, and I, yeah, so spiritual is a nice word in English. We don't have a Swedish word for it that, um, it's the equivalent, but it does have, yeah, meditation or whatever.
0: I had, I had two just reflections or something that bubbled up when you were describing the, the initial steps. I was just thinking about these, uh, these 10 ox pictures. I was like, oh, it makes sense that he's a Buddhist. Um, but it's, it's. I really enjoy that um version of you know the the hero's journey and i don't know if you are you familiar with with those yeah I, I, yeah i can i can also provide a link in the show notes but it's like um you you would go uh you your first you're asleep you, you don't know there's an ox then you see the the ass of the ox behind the tree and you're like hmm, what's this and then you catch the ox, I think, uh, and you're in complete resistance to this ox. This ox is pulling and really grabbing all of your attention. Uh, you finally get up on the ox. You try to ride it. It's, not, it's unwilling to be ridden. So you're still, it's still taking most of your attention. Eventually the ox calms down and you can kind of ride it home. Uh, and once you ride it at home or you ride it to where you need to go, um, uh, somewhere around there, you forget about the ox. So the ox is is there around somewhere, but but you're there, so you rest rest alone. Then uh, you forget about yourself. So you completely forget yourself. You're in, you're in darkness. You're in stillness. You're in nothing. Um, then you return to your original place. I think you you go back to your initial place, and that's where you realize that everything is interconnected. Speaking of um, that fourth step, I guess, and then um, eventually. Once you've sat there for a while, then you can return to the market with open hands and there's this uh, illustration that i've seen this wonderful, sort of fat, happy old man in this case with open hands that's returning to the market in slippers, and he's just joyful and cheerful and like it comes with a different quality of of knowing and life um,
1: that's beautiful
0: so that was just one yeah <laughs> and because that's that's what I was also sort of thinking about like the the these solutions, if you will, or like these paths into it, I'm, I'm curious about sort of the carrying energy, uh, into this. Like I did some writing and, and some thinking and I was, I put up like a four field sort of, uh, little, little thing. And, and then I had like in the bottom left corner where you don't want to be, that was sort of where you're in paralysis and then sort of the top, top left corner, then you were in an escape and like you're trying to, to escape something. In the bottom right corner, and, and some people think that this is a different logical type, but I, I think it works. It's like parenting; like you're trying to control things. You're really trying to direct and control things. And then on the sort of in the top right, up into the right there, um, you have some sort of some some sort of thriving, something that you're looking for. But I, I'm just saying that because I feel it matters which energy you go into these different activities with. So, I mean, you can try to get out of the place. At least to me, that's what I perceive. Like you can try to just exit the world to a spiritual community or to a farm somewhere or like make sure that you're fine and that you don't care about the others. Um, You could also do that with an energy of trying to stay involved and trying to to carry forward and trying to have these conversations and really try to bring people along and invite people along. Um, And I don't know if that, goes into how you're thinking about it but it just seems to me a lot of the people that i spent time with are dealing in answers because they think they know or they're dealing in ways yeah. of getting out yeah. of there like yeah. getting yeah. themselves somewhere. so
1: important what you're talking and, and about now. that's hard
0: yeah. it's hard to navigate too yeah. sorry
1: to interrupt no this is just so important what you're saying right now because um the escape is really you're still in um, a mindset of um, trying to protect yourself. This is actually similar to you know Avatar One and Avatar Two, where Avatar One is learning about the interconnectedness of everything, and where nobody is an object and, and you are a subject, but everybody is a subject basically. Anyway, so and what you what you're getting at, or at least what I'm perceiving that you're getting at is um, we cannot forget everyone. Because uh, uh, it's required when you go into conversation two, or at least many of the worlds that can uh, emerge from from conversation two, um, is it's all about no longer um, having a hierarchy between humans and the rest of the world and each other. Um, it's about kind of erasing the idea that. Um, that the world is there for us and that um, therefore it should kind of bend for to our will and escaping it is also bending the world to our will be, more or less. So um, I don't know if I'm making sense. Do you want to add something, uh, Alexander?
2: Yeah, I think... Especially if we look m- at the more mainstream sustainability conversation, which again is where we started with this notion of co- conversation one, uh, a lot of it is around the notion of what's the problem and what's the solution. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, the solution can come in different forms depending on where you come from. One solution can be Of course, you know scientific or pedagogical. We need a better way to explain how the Earth system works. Uh, That's you know that's a solution to a problem. Then, of course, you have the policy discussion around sustainability. We need the world. We need the 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 decision makers of the world to get together and sign an agreement, or to sign a protocol, or you know something to uh, agree on something. And then, of course, the dominant one in our part of the world, in, and uh, actually maybe especially in Sweden, is that we need new technologies. And, of course, that's a that's an approach, a solution that a lot of the uh, public discourse has come to embrace. Uh, because the good thing about that is that the, both the policymakers and the business people and others can kind of say... We've got this covered. It's okay. You won't have to change your lifestyles because we'll come up with the new technologies. We'll come up with the new solutions that will solve this, and you can go on with your lives, and you don't have to worry, and you can, uh, you can, yeah, you, you you can carry on, and we will continue to deliver on the promise of progress, or the promise of modernity, or the promise of the people's home, folkhemmet in Sweden, or whichever model you want to
0: choose. And even sorry, just to, to interject, but even even this idea that um, we can. Uh, I mean, even like, I need to change my lifestyle. Even that, I think, is a solution to yeah. a problem, yeah. which
2: is not yeah. really making exactly. sense. Like, yes,
1: yeah. that's it. Yeah. yeah. I just want to it.
2: inject yeah. that to exactly. it. Exactly. Go ahead. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and if we instead say that, well, the whole notion of problem and solution in this situation isn't the right one, we can't talk about uh, something that's outside of us because, of course, you know, it's all, you know, it's all because of us, because of our way of thinking, because of our scientific, uh, our, 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 our belief in uh, the premise of science and science's ability to explain everything. And a paradox that we've talked about quite often is the fact that, isn't it strange that within the last, oh, within my lifetime, not even my lifetime, between within the last two decades, there have been so many scientific certainties that have been challenged and that have even been overturned uh, in so many areas who would have you know 20 years ago talked about the importance of the microbiome in the in the in the human body you would have been crackpot if you were talking about that and now it's more or less mainstream and this is you know this is true for just about you know just about every area of science uh and Coping with that, of course, uh, is, is a, is, it brings us back to the Shafurka ladder of awareness because coping with that is uh, being prepared to accept interdependencies, accept uncertainty, and accept that this, these aren't problems with solutions. These are predicaments that require changes not in lifestyles and not in technological base, but in worldviews and yeah. in...
1: Yeah, fundamental worldview.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: yeah. I'd like to add to... Um, thanks for bringing us back to Shifurka because uh, there are more things to say there. Um, I think that, for example, um, I know of people, because people move up and down the Shifurka ladder And what I've noticed, for example, a friend of mine, she's uh, very high up in the Swedish innovation system and uh, um, a very holistic thinker, systems thinker by nature, I would say. And she, we had this conversation about six months ago and um, talking about conversation one, conversation two, and she said, yeah, I've been there. I've been touching on conversation two, um, but I realized what can I do about it? So I let go. And so that's when you kind of stay at level four, which would then be, you realize that all the problems are interconnected, but at level five, you're kind of um, actually saying yes to the huge challenge of looking for other solutions. And I also, this is being on stage five or, or in conversation two requires a lot of bandwidth. A lot of time, a lot of energy is energy consuming um, because you're kind of jumping in and out of fundamental worldviews. Tyson Juncker-Porta, the Aboriginal author and anthropologist who wrote Sand Talk, which is a fantastic classic in terms of uh, stepping outside and viewing our our world. He says that when he moves from the Western world mental paradigm in, and goes back into the Aboriginal world worldview, it takes him three days. Three days to be fully encompassed in a different way of thinking. So it is it does require a lot of energy to be in conversation to and I stay at um, level five. And people are busy working. Uh, and. You and I, Alexander, we we both took the liberty of um, not working full-time anymore. Um, So I have time left over to be able to think about these things freely. I don't do it for any client. We're doing it independently, just out of curiosity. Um, And um, so that's a kind of a hobby, and you need to have some spare time to be able to exist there. Unless you have you are surrounded with other people who who do who think in the same way, and who are able to kind of pick you up when you, you when you begin to doubt yourself, because and when you begin to think that you're out of your mind and you're crazy, because that's also a side effect of being in conversation too.
2: I want to add something around uh, the more around. How to carry out the conversation, too. Um, and this has to do with um, another aspect of our um, Western modern science based uh, worldview is that there are words for everything, that we can, if we apply our minds and our vocabulary, we can describe everything. Uh, And that's a very Western tradition. It's enough if we just go and look at Taoism and what are the opening verses of the Tao Te Ching. Uh, They say if you can talk about it, it's not Tao. Tao doesn't have a name. Names are for ordinary things. Um, So the, this, this, this propensity to try to apply our minds almost like, you know, in some cases you listen in on conversations or you read articles and it's almost like, you know, I like to describe them as kind of triathletes of the mind or, you know, cross training in concepts and words in trying to find what's the best way, how can we do this? When in fact, letting go of uh, the ambition to try to put labels on everything is also an important um, way of letting go and of being able to step in to other ways of looking at the world. Um, Because again, uh, going back, I think, to the importance of accepting multiple entry points the need to look at things from another perspective. I mean, that's at the heart of a lot of some systems thinking, systems science. I mean, for Gregory Bateson, I mean, that was the that was the kind of the main message was you have to find ways to look at things from another perspective. Um, and uh, looking at things from another perspective also means trying to make sense of things without using. The, you know, the, the, the tools that we have, the solution we have, which is to use words and put labels and definitions uh, and strangely enough, not even have the courage to come up with new words. Because we're in many cases here, we're into, you know, we're into unknown territory and we're going into unknown territory with a kind of an encyclop- encyclopedia or a dictionary that's describing yesterday's world many of the new phenomena, there aren't any good words for that. So what we instead try to do is we try to shoehorn in old words and say, yeah, but we don't really mean that, we mean this. Uh, And that generally doesn't work, especially if you want to communicate things. Uh, So there are very, very few people who say, well, let's come up with new words to describe uh, some of these phenomena, because some of them can be described in words, whereas others, I, I, I do think we shouldn't We shouldn't even try to talk about it. We should, we should make sense of it through all our other senses and trying to go beyond the mind or beneath uh, the mind.
0: That's just wanted to, to, because that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, but in terms of like finding different languages and and then languages might be sort of misleading. Because what I mean is like words would be one language and and dance would be another language and art would be a third and singing would be a fourth. And, but like really working with different parts of, of like ways of expressing yourself that involve different parts of your entire biological being, yeah. uh, in a way of like, because there's something around, so around leaning into two things in that way that I think is, is interesting. And then I, I want to, I'm going to trust the instinct here because I, there was this thing that you spoke about a lot earlier, ilva regarding the practice, like that you have to kind of tune your instrument or you have to, um, well, tune your instrument is, is my word, but, but it's like to, to, you have to work with your, your capacity. Um, and so because of this, because um, that's what I tend to feel, it's like when you are in paradox and you don't get the release, you don't get the climax, like you know, it's, it's, t- it's almost like a tantric practice of like you don't get to climax, you just build and it builds and it builds and builds and you're, you're there and you see more threads coming in and then your job is to like hold it with a little bit of space with lots of compassion and care not take in too much so you like fall into despair or 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 just shut down but rather like wear that balance of of staying in tension staying in paradox and um i think th- that's also where we use words sometimes like to, to, to release, to release as a pressure wall, to release, to, to, um, and reassure ourselves that we understood something that wasn't probably graspable in the first place. So I just wanted to to weave that into what you were saying, Alexander, sorry, you were, you were heading out.
1: (laughs) Adding to what you just said, Amit, um, this, I read this fantastic book called the way of the Bushman, and it's about, um, um routines and way of living in in the kalahari and um, i cannot pronounce the name of this particular tribe um, i'll try it's a uh, i think um, so what they say is that they have regular dancing and so dancing is in is in embedded in the culture and what they also say is if you don't dance on a regular basis you get what they call dirty nails you get dirty nails from fighting with other people because you've got a lot of tension that's built up in your body. And so you get the dirty nails if you don't dance regularly. And um, I guess this kind of relates to it. Having a regular practice is fundamental to be able to live in a world of uncertainty, which is the fundam- also the fundamental worldview of many cultures that live in nature, I mean nature-based cultures. I don't know the word English word for it, Um where you have the worldview that everything is always changing. You cannot control anything, so the world is ever moving. And being able to live with that, within your system that you cannot control, that you're not, you know, forever safe, forever insured, um, etc. Then you need a practice to the release the tension that you, that you were talking about, Amit. So um, I guess if, if we are going to accept the, the fact that we cannot control the world, which is what we believe in Conversation One and, and this, this system that we're embedded in, um, uh, then we also need an outlet.
2: To to pick up on that and to do something that I just criticized others for doing, I'm going to do it myself, which is uh, spend a little time on words. Uh, There's a lot of talk on, yeah, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, we live in the Anthropocene uh, and, you know, we, the human, we humans are uh, influencing the planet. Well, actually, some people point out, and I think it's important to bear that in mind, that it's not all humans. It's mainly, you know, a few tens or hundreds of millions of white, European, mainly male. Uh, that is where at least the source of the impact comes from. But we can leave that a little a bit to one side, because Anthropocene, there's a word that's very similar to Anthropocene, but that's actually much, 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 much more important and that's anthropocentric, Uh, and in just about every non-Western traditional, you know, uh, culture, uh, First Nations, uh, Indigenous cultures, just about everywhere, the key difference between that cosmology, that worldview, worldview, and the Western one, has to do with whether it is anthropocentric, does it put us as the crown of creation? Does it put us in command and control of everything, or does it accept the fact that we are not in command of everything and we cannot control everything because we are beyond because we are dealing with systems that are beyond what or beyond or alone that, that cannot be. Fully understood and fully explained and fully influenced. Uh, Finding ways to, and this is an awful word that I'd like to find a better one for, is to de anthropocentricize uh, our uh, way of looking at the world uh, would be an incredibly important thing to do. And again, going back to Shifurka. Uh, When he talks about the outer path that one engages in, which has to do about putting your fingers in the soil and gardening, or which has to do with cultivating inner nature through uh, inner development work, that what is that if not de-anthropocentricizing one's uh, one's thinking and one's position?
1: I have a word for that that's different, that's post-humanism. Um, but I really wanted to take a break now, so
0: can we yeah. go on after break? Let's take a break. That was part one of the conversation with Ilba and Alexander, and next week we'll continue, but not actually with the second part that we recorded back then, but rather with a second part that we just re-recorded because we felt that the world had changed, a lot of things had come out over the past few weeks that made. A difference so to say so it'll be another conversation it'll be one that doesn't pick up exactly where we left off but i think you're going to be fine with that and uh, because it wasn't part of this if you want to find out more about Ilba and alexander just uh, check the show notes where you can find both their linkedin profiles and uh, from there i'm sure you can make your way so see you next week